Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. And this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. a joy to be here with you and to be sharing. I, since March, have not worshipped corporately until we just started again here. And worship is one of our four values. And I realize again and again why worship is so, so important for us. And although many people are online and spread about and it's odd and it's unusual, the good news is is that Jesus meets us as we worship and as we gather together and does something profound in us. So I'm so excited about that. Let me pray for us as we dig into this message this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you meet us behind masks and in strange new settings as we worship. Lord, our worship is just us meeting you and doing that together and finding ways of doing it together no matter what the circumstances. Lord, you don't ask us to be perfect in this. You ask us to be faithful in this. And so we gather, we are faithful, and we know that you are faithful to meet us. And so thank you this morning for these friends, for this community, for this city and this neighborhood. We trust that your spirit continues to work. May we have the eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we are doing a sermon series called For Chestermere. And it's actually kind of like a big bow over over a whole package of things that we're going to be talking about uh, from now through much of the fall. And uh, we say for Chestermere because we believe God is for this place. We're putting kind of the meat and the bones to what God is doing here. And the way that we understand how God is for Chestermere is that we're going to take a look at how Jesus was for particular people and places. And we've taken a journey from where Jesus grew up in Nazareth to where he's done his ministry, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. We're going to follow this through next week. Pastor Evan's going to talk about Jesus for Jerusalem. We're talking about places, but today we're going to talk about people. Now, I put together some of our sermon series, and uh, Pastor Evan often likes making a point that I give him the hard ones. Not today. Today's a tough one. We're talking about how Jesus is for the hurt. That's, that's maybe the easy part. We know that Jesus loves the hurt, the wounded. Maybe you have come to Jesus with your hurt and your wounds. Maybe you have been the victim of something, and you found solace and care in the one that made you, who says, I love you, and, and that he hung on a cross to carry the hurt that you've experienced. The death that is around you is one that he stepped into. But it's the second part that I don't like, frankly, that Jesus is for the hurters. When I first started to put this together, I wasn't excited about this. I don't like this. You see, I'm often against the hurters. In fact, there's a lot of righteousness in being against the hurt in the world. And then I had to put a name to it. If If it was the herders in some other foreign country, I could wag my finger, right? And then I was like, but what about the herders in, like, Canada? I'll wag my finger at them, too. What about the herders in Alberta? What about the herders in Chestermere? What about the herder on your street? What about the herder at Lake Ridge? What about the herder wearing your shirt and your pants? 
you. It gets pretty close pretty quick when you start to think about who the herders are. It's complex because we want justice and we don't like when there's a herder that we know, maybe even carrying your own name, who has done some hurting. And in fact, there's something very good about when we stand up against hurt and against those that cause pain and tear neighborhoods apart or families apart. And we say, this is not right. But it's complex because we are wrapped up in that. We are included in this. There is no trite, easy answer. I'm not here today to give you a trite, easy answer, but there is a good answer in what we're going to share about today. And the good answer is Jesus is for the hurt and the herders. That is the good answer. That's the period at the end of my sermon. I had a teenage bully. I won't say his name. He's probably watching the sermon today. No, I don't know. I don't know. I had a teenage bully, and I remember when I was in junior high, he, he had a way of spitting at somebody across the room. You could be several desks over, and you would feel some spittle land on you. It was the most demeaning thing I experienced. I'd sit there studying, and he'd be spitting. I was so mad. So mad. I remember talking to a teacher and saying, I'm so mad at this. There's nothing I can do. He said this, he does it so subtly, and he's does it against other students, and he did it towards me, and my teacher just was like, eh. I went home, and I just with tears in my eyes, I'm like, I hate this. We went from junior high to high school. I was, in the, I was in the stall at the bathroom, going to the bathroom with a urinal, and he comes in, and he kicks me into the urinal. I was the herder, or the, the hurt. So I did something that I've never done. I hauled off, and I kicked him. And I kicked him straight out of the bathroom several times until he was like flat out on the other side. I was the herter. I was hurt and I was the herter. As the years went by through high school, I found my footing. I found my friends. I found what I was about. I learned that I wasn't defined by this foolish person and his silly ways. He went his own way and I went mine. And one day, we were in the big kind of atrium of our school. And there was this big fundraiser, and kids were bringing quarters and nickels and dimes and putting it into this big bucket thing. And he comes along, and he puts in some garbage. We're all raising money for a good cause, and he puts in some garbage. And I do, and I want to hurt him bad in front of everybody. So I do. I stand up, and I say to everybody, everybody, I want your attention. We're trying to do something good, and this fool just did this. That is terrible. And I just take a strip off of him, and everybody cheers. And I realize I hurt him really good. He thought he was going to do something cool, and I took a shred off of him. I don't know if I felt very good after that. In fact, I felt shame after that. You can see how complex this is, right? I'm standing up for what's good, but I'm also becoming a herter, and I'm becoming, in a lot of ways, what he was to me. The hurt and the herter. On our very last day of school, I was walking out with a big box full of goods and uh, just all my books and everything. We're cleaning out our lockers. And he's coming towards me. And it was a narrow hall, and I remember he, he walked towards me, and I just couldn't move out of the way. And he went out of the way. And as I'm passing, he says, Preston, it was so good to go to school with you. I'm going to miss you. In the most sincere way, he was thankful. I said, thanks, man. It was good. I wish you all the best. <laughs> and we went our own ways. I haven't seen him since. 
What an interesting journey. It is not as easy as just painting black or white. We are dealing with real humans, and I am part of that. Was Jesus for my bully? I wondered that when I was young. Could Jesus have been on Team Preston and on Team Bully? I'm learning to think that he was. Could the tears I cried to Jesus about my bully be held in the same hands as the one who held my bully? David's psalms are full of anger for the enemy. He faced hard things and enemies that wanted to hurt him and his people. He cried to God for justice. And if you read through the Psalms, you'll uncover his cries, and maybe they are yours. Psalm 68, it's called, For the Choir Director, a Song, a Psalm of David. (laughs) Now, I don't know what choir you've been a part of, but this is not a song that I've ever heard a choir sing before. Listen to some of these words from Psalm 68. Imagine singing this on Sunday morning. Rise up, O God, and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate God run for their lives. Blow them away like smoke. Melt them like wax in a fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God. Then he goes on and says, But God will smash the heads of his enemies, crushing the skulls of those who love their guilty ways. Amen. Let's take up an offering after that song, right? It's wild. Now, I, we don't often say those songs because they're kind of wild. We're praying that God would smash heads and all this stuff. And you will bump across those. And if you've ever preached for any amount of time, Evan will attest to this, you get to these and you kind of do a little whoop, let's just skip past that one, right? Let's get on to some of the the better ones. But this is the reality. He is seeing injustice and he is seeing hurt, hurters, and he wants to do one of these. Do what I did with that guy out of the bathroom or mock them in public and say, this is not acceptable. It's a prayer that's right in the Bible. So if you feel that, If you feel that somebody's hurt you and you want to just say, blow them away like smoke. David prayed those same prayers. We might reel from it, but it's honest, it's raw, it's raw. God holds this cry in one hand, and then we discover that God also loves all the people that David is praying will be smashed against the stone. Not only that, but all the hell, fire, and brimstone that David wanted to pray on all the enemies, we learn that Jesus comes in and takes the weight of their punishment on him. All the punishment we pray on the hurters is Jesus stepping in and saying, I'll carry that. All the mockery of my bully, Jesus says, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll carry that. That's too much for a young man's soul. You mocking him, he'll carry that for the rest of his life. I'll carry that. I want to protect him too. That's wild. Jesus is for the people David wanted to smash. Jesus is for my childhood bully. And I learned that Jesus is for the people I have hurt or wish to hurt. And I learned that Jesus is for Preston the herder and Jesus came to love me. You see, Jesus has the authority to be for the hurt and herders. He can find the hurt and herders and he will take on the death experience for both the hurt and the death due that's, that's due to the hurters. This is where Jesus comes into the middle of everything, and he is for them, for them both. There's a story in the Bible that talks about how Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He is in Capernaum, uh, which we learned is not the spiritual heartbeat of the people of, of, of Israel. I can't 
preach and look up scripture at the same time. That's one thing that I've learned over time. Let's, let's find it here. This is something that, that happens when he is in this town. So, let's see, it's uh, Luke 5.17. It goes like this. One day when Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. And the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went on the roof, took off some tiles, and they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is, this blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, uh, so he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. If you wanted to be forgiven in the time of Jesus, you went to Jerusalem to the temple. That's where you did it. You would bring a sacrifice and you would lay it down. And not just anybody could come and do it. You had to make amends first. If you hurt somebody else, you had to pay for it first. You had to pay for the cost of what you'd done wrong. Then you go to God. God then appeases that. And you have to kill an animal for that. And then you are made right. Here is this man who is clearly hurting. He's paralyzed. He comes in and his friends lower him down. And these leaders, they were perplexed, they were angry that Jesus was about to do something that only God could do. And only in the temple, and only if you've done your part first. So it's important to observe that this location of this event was not the temple in Jerusalem or even a synagogue, both traditional Jewish strongholds for getting right with God. But instead, Jesus demonstrated that the authority of the Messiah to heal and forgive sins extended into every public and private sphere, even into a private home. This is the extent of God's authority. So it's a, it's a story about his, Jesus' authority over healing and, making, uh, and mending what is broken and to forgive the hurter, and that this happens in all the places, okay? This is a very potent story about what Jesus is doing. So Jesus uses a normal home to show that he's, he has the authority to be for the hurting. So we get that. This man is lowered down, he's paralyzed, and he's about to heal him. But instead he says, I forgive you your sins. This man was hurting, but he was also a hurter. <laughs> he needed his sins forgiven. Now we don't know what he did, but it's interesting they wanted to stop this. They said, we might be okay with you healing people who are the hurting, but to forgive people without them going through all the rigmarole? This is unheard of. In fact, it's wrong. And Jesus says, I forgive you and I heal you. Both. Both exists in you, and both is something I tend to. This is Jesus' authority. <laughs> and they're, they're perplexed that Jesus has this authority. What authority do you take from Jesus that is his? Is there 
a role that you take. I know my authority that I took with that bully. I took it on me to set that boy right, right? I took it on me to pound him outside that bathroom door. I took it on me to judge him in front of all of his friends. I took it on me to carry the burden of his awfulness through much of my life. It was mine. I judge him. I kept him off to one side. But Jesus always offers us the authority to do one thing with Jesus, and that is to forgive like Jesus and to invite Jesus into the story. And when we do, it's more powerful than anything we can do to kick somebody to the curb is to forgive them because they are open now to the change of Jesus. There's another story in Luke 15. Jesus tells the story of a lost sheep and the one sheep is going away and the, and the shepherd goes and rescues that one sheep. And then the story goes on to something that's just a short passing story, but he talks about a woman who lost a coin. And, this, and it goes like this. Suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, will she call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there will be joy in the presence of, God angels, in, uh, of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Here's this interesting thing. We talked about how repentance required you to do a whole bunch of things, to pay the cost, then go to the temple and pay God. And here, Jesus tells this story. This is the interesting reason why in Jewish culture he talked about a coin. A coin doesn't lose its value, does it? It doesn't matter if it's under a sofa or in the bank, wherever it is, it still has its value. This was unheard of. Because when you did something wrong in Jesus' world, your value was diminished significantly until you played a role in getting your value back up again in the eyes of the community and the eyes of God. And Jesus is saying, no, this lost coin is a person. Its value doesn't change when it's on the side of the story. And then he does something else. You see, it gets even crazier because in Jesus' time, you had to step close to God to make things right. And here, what does this woman do? She goes sweeping. She goes searching. She goes hunting. And she finds her coin and then she celebrates. Because the coin is back home again. People would have been losing their top at this. Saying that people have an inherent value and that it's God that goes and finds them when they can't find themselves. I can attest to a God who finds me when I can't find myself, who speaks into my heart when I feel like I can't see the way forward, and who says, you have value even when I have determined that I don't have value anymore. The lost coin, Preston. And so Jesus, my third story, and then we're going to show a short video, and then we're going to be done. Jesus, he takes on the death experienced by the hurt. And he takes on death due to the hurter. In Luke 23, Jesus is hung up on a cross like a common criminal. And as he's hanging there, we encounter some of the very last words of Jesus. And I love that Jesus reveals who he is even at the very end. Luke 23, 32 goes like this. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. That's Jesus. 
When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to a cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Look at that. Even before they, even before they aren't even done doing all the hurting, and already Jesus is forgiving them. Isn't that amazing? Even before you are done hurting somebody, Jesus is already forgiving you. He's doing that here. He's, and he seems to be pretty open to who he's forgiving. He's just saying, forgive them. Maybe that guy, forgive him, forgive them, forgive her. Definitely forgive that guy. And all the way around, right? It's potent. He's throwing this around. Jesus is silly. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched the leader, and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened with him above with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, aren't you? Prove it, to your, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Both of these men, they were found and they were done wrong and they were due to die. But even before saying anything, Jesus is offering them forgiveness. He's on everyone's side, offering forgiveness to all. One rejects Jesus, but the other, even though he's admitting he's guilty, he realizes that Jesus should not be there. He's done nothing wrong. But Jesus, he takes on the death of the world, even for this hurter on each side. And he includes the hurter in the Father's future. He says, you are part of my future, be with, and you're going to be with me in paradise. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is keen to have herders with him in paradise. You know what I want to do with herders? I want to kick them out the door. I don't want them to be close to me. If I was to plan a paradise, I'd choose a number of people in this room that I really like. I'd choose a few of my neighbors. I'd handpick just a select group of people that tell really good jokes and make really good dumplings. That would be, that would be the way. And Jesus says to this criminal, there's a reason why you're hanging on the cross, by the way. It's, it's, it's not because you didn't do all, all your hours of community service, right? It's because you did something terrible. And Jesus says, you're going to be with me in paradise. I want to spend my life with you. That's how I see you as a herter, is to be with me. And I want to be with you now, and I want you to be with me. And this is what I do with the hurt and the herters. And Jesus is for these criminals. Now, this might be hard for you. Maybe you've been a victim of something. Maybe you can't imagine spending time with the person who hurt you. And I empathize with you, and I think Jesus empathizes with you, and Jesus holds you close and says, you will always be safe with me. But I think it's in Jesus, it's amazing that both the hurt and the hurter can be held by this one person and love both. And so we're stuck in the crux, crux of this. 
there's something very interesting, and we're going to close with this. There's something very interesting happening in our denomination. It's one of the most beautiful stories happening. Our, one of our seminaries is down in Chicago, North Park Theological Seminary. It trains pastors. So it trains, it trains yahoos like me and Evan, although we've never studied down there. But it, but it finds people and people who say, I think I want to be a pastor. I want to give my life to care for the church and all that that means. Well, this school started something called the School of Restorative Arts in Illinois. And it has done something that I think is very powerful it recognizes the power of Jesus for herters. Well, we do work in, the, in our denomination for victims, for the poor. We've started hospitals and we've worked with marginalized around the world. Here's an example of how our denomination has stepped in to include the herters in the good news of the kingdom. And it has been profound. You see, the same organization that trains prisoners or trains pastors trains prisoners. Maybe the tra- and they take the same course, so it's probably true, right? I'm going to show a video here, but I want you to notice something. These people are going to spend their life in prison. Most of them are there for the next 50, 60, 70 years. And I want you to notice something about them. Prison does not change a person for the better, typically. But they've met somebody in prison, and it is Jesus. The hurt and the hurter are changed when they encounter Jesus. That's how you can tell if somebody's encountered Jesus is often if some change has happened in their life. A victim and the victimizer can meet at the same table that Jesus is at because Jesus changes the hearts of both people. In Jesus, when we accept the love of Jesus, something inside is transformed and changed. Not just our words, but we go back and we become Jesus and we bless those that we have hurt. We find the courage to do that, and we say we are sorry. And these people, they have not only said that they're sorry, they said we are going to now be Jesus in our community too. So let's watch this. It's about a six-minute video or so, and we're going to end with this, and we're going to come up and play one last song, and I'll give the benediction. But I want you to see yourself in the lives of these herters who have met Jesus. It's a profound story. It's happening in our denomination. So let's watch this together. I was about to go in one day and a friend said to me, go be Jesus in, as you go in. And I'm like, actually, I go in there and I find Jesus in there. Not only are your friends involved in gangs, but family members are in gangs. So the gang life has always been entrenched into our community, and that's how we view things. And I just grew up drinking to cope with the traumas that I experienced in my neighborhood. Alcohol abuse was a problem in my family. It ultimately led to me leaving home at an early age. I used to hear bullets flying past my ears. My dad was killed, you know, in gun violence. I grew up without a father, and then like I, I see so many other my friends growing up without fathers. The Word of God says that we are to visit the prisoners. Doesn't matter what they've done. We don't get to decide who we visit or why we visit them.
so the program grew into a four-year um, Master's of Arts in Christian Ministry. Um, and the, the goal of the program is to prepare people to do ministry in contexts that are susceptible to violence, which prisons, of course, are. I was excited to take the class inside the prison um, because I knew that it, it would be putting me in proximity with, with those who are in the system and then it's learning how the system affects people and their families. I've never had the one-on-one -on -one relationships and the connections and putting faces to names and stories to faces um, until this class. Our outside students don't have a rap sheet that anybody else can look up and say, oh, what sins have they committed lately? Even though you may have done things in the past, you know, this doesn't define who you are for the rest of your life. You know, you can get past that, you know. I shouldn't be alive today, to be honest with you. It had not God intervened in my life the way he has. One of the things that they've been able to start to do in this program is to look at their own trauma and to try to find healing. And so to break those cycles in themselves, and then once they've found some healing, to be able to be agents of breaking those cycles of violence. I'm actually ministered to, and I find Jesus in a way that I've never experienced Jesus. I find um, a dimension of God that I've never seen um, through the men that I've gotten to know within the prison. The education that I receive and this hope that I have that I'll be able to use it in the world to bring something good in the lives of other individuals, I think that's more than a degree itself. I want to help end that cycle, you know, the cycle that I grew up in because it's vicious. I realize that my calling is teaching, but teach God's word in a way that is powerful, uplifting, positive, and liberating. I don't see those barriers any longer. And so that's the one thing that I actually look forward to doing when I get out with this education is breaking down those barriers because I know them to be anti-gospel. Without this course, I would still will be wondering what's gonna happen with me. You know, but now it's just, I have so much hope. I have so much hope, you know, that, that this is something that's getting me prepared for something that, that God has in store for me. We hosted a Lauren Daigle concert at Stateville they were going to be singing along with some of the men to do a couple of joint pieces for everybody. And she said to me, please don't let this be the last time I'm in here. We need to be in here. And when they were singing the last song, which was one of the Gaither hymns, something beautiful, something good, one of my students, my outside students, turned to me and said, the gospel sounds really different in here. Every word that we sing about all the time, freedom, liberation, forgiveness, it means something really different in here. And there was one moment when we went into the Panopticon 
and the environment is so inhumane that most of them in the world shut down, and this particular one shut down last year. We went in there into that space, which is a space that, that can feel like visiting a site where you know people have died, have suffered. Um, when we went in there, it, we were silent for a moment, and Lauren Daigle just started singing Amazing Grace in this space and it echoed off the walls and I thought this is analogous that there is redemption happening everywhere and who are we to keep the walls that human beings put up who are we to keep people out and to think that God isn't working inside the walls just as he is working outside those walls because the barriers that human beings make between themselves and other human beings are anti-gospel And my hope is that when our students graduate and possibly are transferred to other prisons across the state of Illinois, that our students who are incarcerated bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single prison in the state of Illinois, and that they themselves are the agents of change on the ground, loving these men that they may be incarcerated with for the rest of their lives. But Jesus is there. Powerful picture. Are you hurt? Are you a hurt person or a hurter today? Or maybe you're here and you're both like me. Jesus came to say he is for you. For the times you've been a victim and for the times you've been victimized, or and for the times you have victimized others, you are seen, you're provided for, you're given healing. And you're given freedom. So we can all come to Jesus knowing that we are home. Please stand with us. Uh, we're going to sing one last song. And I'm going to give the benediction. So let's join and give our hurt to Jesus. <laughs>